Good to see you all. Let's take our Bibles. Um, we are going to go back to Psalm 79 and do 79 through 82 this evening. But before we do, I have sort of a burden on my heart to make you aware of a major Christian event that's happening in Nashville as I speak. It's simply called We Will Stand. Some of it's called We Will Stand United. But that's, that's going on actually right now. If you would take out in your handouts, uh, there's an article by Lighthouse Trails. I'm going to ask you to read it on your own a little later. But I want to tell you that there's 33 of these musicians that are getting together. Uh, they're actually heralding it as one of the biggest Christian get-togethers in history. People who have been around since the earliest of the Jesus Movement days. You know, a lot of it's really going to be a blessing. There's some people in there, some of them I know personally, and some of them I've known for many years. Having said that, the Bible warns in the last days that all roads are going to eventually lead to Rome. And you might be wondering, what does that have to do with some Christian concert happening in Nashville, Tennessee? Well, they've chosen to have the moderator for this particular setting, a Roman Catholic gal named Roma Downey. Now, I went online today just to do my own homework on her, and what I'm quoting from is T.A. McMahon's article from the Berean Call. She and her husband were responsible for the miniseries on the History Channel about a year ago called the Bible Miniseries. How many of you remember that? I think those who have discerning spirits and know the Bible were troubled with it, and those who don't know the Bible thought it was great. And that's basically how I would describe it. What I'm going to read, I'm going to take a little bit of the study tonight because I believe we're moving quickly towards what the Bible teaches is a one-world religion and a one-world government and a one-world monetary system. Now, if you were here on Sunday, I touched on Psalm 83, how we see it politically being arranged with Israel. I'll touch on more on that tonight when we get into Psalm 79 and Psalm 80. But I've thought the best way to do this in five minutes is just give you something that you can do your own homework on. But here are my concerns with the person who's the narrator and the moderator of this huge production uh, that's, that's taking place. So this is T.A.'s um, commentary on the Bible miniseries, but I'm reading it because it'll give you a little bit of the background of the blending of some of the best and well-known musicians in Christian industry since the very, very beginning. So it's called the Bible miniseries. Uh, T.A. says, we have received numerous inquiries regarding the Bible miniseries, which the History Channel is broadcasting following our comments. The miniseries is but one more program designed to discredit the authority and the sufficiency of the scriptures. It gets worse if you examine the background of those making the Bible miniseries. Roma Downey and her husband Mark Burnett say they believe in the Bible but it's clear that they will put their own spin on it. Now, Donnie was one of the stars of Touched by the Angel. Some of you have seen that. Well, she was one of the stars at, during that series, uh, with her co-star being Della Reese, who founded her own, quote, New Thought Church, Christian Science, Religious Science, Unity, and other mind science cults. They are both New Agers to the core. Downey was interviewed by a Hollywood a publication which furnished this information. Roma, who attends the University of Santa Monica, a private graduate school founded by New Age spiritual and self-help guru John Roger, and will graduate with a master's degree in spiritual psychology in June. As someone who has been on a spiritual journey for many years, it seems a natural extension of that work, says the lady still seen in the Hallmark Channel returns as Angel Monica. She notes, The skills I'm learning will ultimately qualify me to be a therapist, not that she has plans to start a practice anytime soon. It's really so interesting to learn about human behavior. Those are her comments. Now, not surprisingly, there is already a Bible 30-day experience church kit that includes everything you need to launch a sermon series and outreach campaign based on the Bible ministries. Uh, this course is available to churches in conjunction with the series. 
we have received reports from readers of the Berean Call that there are pastors that have announced uh, new studies based upon this material. Now, Downey's producer, that would be her husband, Burnett, states, by telling these emotionally connected big stories, hopefully millions of people will reopen their Bibles. It would be truly wonderful if people would reopen their Bibles and move away from reading about or seeing a documentary on the Bible and would instead read the Bible itself to see what it says. May the Lord deliver us from the deception of men. The first show aired this past Sunday. How did it fare? It was received with some well-deserved flack from depicting the angels of Sodom as ninja. Several news sources have commented on this. It is instructive, however, to read commentary of the viewers, for example. This is one of the comments. My son and I watched it, just about fell out of my chair when an angel was depicted as a ninja. We both said, what are they thinking? Now from a defender, he goes on to say, do you really assume and think he was a ninja because he was act playing him as an Asian descent? He behaved more like a Roman gladiator, and his sword worked with movements, but maybe you didn't notice that. Ninja also carries that sword because they carry a Roman-style sword, which was used as this. Now, the Bible distinctly says that the angels struck the men of Sodom with blindness. They had no need for a sword. Nevertheless, this is what Downey and Burnett have portrayed. This departure from the scriptures doesn't leave us with an expectation that the later episodes are going to improve. Um, That's T.A.'s take on just the Bible miniseries. The other things that she's involved with is why I gave you this this evening. Why am I taking the time on a Wednesday night as we make our way through the scriptures to talk about it? Because it's a piece of the big puzzle that as we learn in the last days, what she has done here is violated Revelation 22 verse 18 to such a degree that it's blasphemy. Why? Because the Lord says, if anybody adds to or takes away any of the things that are written in this book, I am going to add to him the plagues that are written in this book. I don't care if it's as simple as um, depicting that there was no mention of uh, homosexuality in the, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And no, the weapons of choice was God's divine Holy Spirit blinding these men if I was directing it, the thing that I would have zeroed in on, it always blows my mind when I think about it, is even after they're blinded, their sexual perversion had sunk into such a low level that they still grope for the door. And uh, on Lot's side of it, he's willing to give up his virgin daughters to these uh, perverts that are outside the door. Last night we watched the State of the Union. I didn't. I only read the headlines this morning. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. But I wasn't a bit surprised when the main headline was, for the first time in American history, a president of the United States showed his support towards homosexuality and transgender sexuality. And I go, well, just how late is it anyway? When I think about and I see these things. Uh, much of what we're going to study about tonight, if, I were, if you were just to read it, it would, it would sound uh, discouraging and downtrodden, not very uplifting. But as we're going to see as we get into Psalm 79, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet for a reason. God gave him a message, and none of it was good. (laughs) Can you imagine having a message from God, and and every time he'd get it, it was always bad news, saying, you guys are going into judgment, and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. End of issue. I have no no more to the message. That was his message. On the other hand, during Jeremiah's time, there were the false prophets, and uh, they're saying, you don't have to worry about a thing. Eat, drink, and be merry. doesn't really matter. God's not going to bring you into judgment. But we know history, and we'll get there tonight as we look at Psalm 79. Many people today talk about the Word of God. They do. They're singing about it now. But how many, when it gets right down to it, Christians that you know actually sit down for an hour and actually have a serious Bible study. As a whole, as you look at the Christian world as a whole, a lot of talk about it. But how many are actually doing what you guys are doing tonight? I commend you. I do. And those watching live stream who really want nothing more than can we just sit down and please go through the Bible and just read it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Do it in a simple way, in a relaxed manner, and let the Holy Spirit do his job. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? 
the reason I'm taking the time, guys, to do this is you need to realize we're swimming upstream. We're going against the grain because our goal here is not to tickle your ears. It's simply to tell you the truth. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we'll let the Lord minister to you. He's more than able to. And I believe if you do it that way, you're going to get a view of the big picture of what is happening in our times. We're told in Thessalonians, we're not children of the night. We're children of the day. And we should know what's happening. And when we have a gal named Roma Downey, I was struck by the name Roma. All roads lead to Rome. And what's her goal? Well, she's about as broad-minded as a New Ager as you're ever going to find. That's what you're going to discover when you read this. What is she doing hosting this who's who from Amy Grant all the way on down the list of the 33 that are there? So I probably took more time than I should have, but please, as your pastor, I have to do this from time to time and uh, let you know because people are they're going to watch something like this and they're probably thinking, hmm, I wonder what he thinks about that. And so now you know what I think about it. I think she should be marked as um, somebody that is more than just 11, okay? And uh, the potential of just her being front and center, the, the stage person gives her a lot of credibility. Having said that, I will leave it with that and have you turn to Psalm 79. If you weren't here on Sunday, pick up Psalm 83. It's an interesting timing was taking place in the Middle East today. We'll make our way, hopefully, Lord willing, up to Psalm 82 this evening. As we look at Psalm 79, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk about the three great judgments that have come into Israel's history. When we were gone this last couple of weeks, we came home to broken pipes and cascading water, and I didn't know how long it had been cascading for. The furnace blew out, and as a result, we had a broken pipe. And who knows how many gallons of water. Anyway, why am I telling this story? Well, we had to get a hold of these people that come in with their... We have 13 fans, as I speak, going on at our home with uh, humidifiers, and I'm not exaggerating, as big as this pulpit going full blast. And uh, they would like the temperature to be set somewhere between 80 and 100. That's been going on for the last four days. I've, uh, my ears are going, (laughs) but here's the interesting thing. I told my wife before we walked out the door, I said, the Lord is in this because this guy that's doing some of the work, he says, what's that menorah over there? And that missile by the, by the door. And Judy just happened to have her Israel t-shirt on. It said Israel. And he says, why do you have that over there? And I says, well, why do you ask? And he says, well, I'm Jewish. I said, really? I said, well, You've just went up a couple points in my book. And Judy said, no, he really meant 200. And I said, I'm really just being selfish for myself because I believe that the Bible teaches, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. I says, can you read Hebrew? And I I asked him if he was a a practicing Jew and he was giving me a little bit of his history. But I could tell he was beginning to open up a little bit. And I says, can you read Hebrew? And I went well like this, and I showed him my wedding ring, and it's, it has Hebrew inscription on it. It said, I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. He was actually reading, and he's going, Alpha, I could see his mind just clicking and working. And he's trying to figure me out. What do, I, what do I have a menorah doing sitting by my front door? And I said, well, I've been to Israel about 30 times, and the Jewish people, you know, they're the smartest, the most talented and brilliant people in the world. And he said, well, thank you very much. That's true. <laughs> anyway, I believe the Lord is in it. The, even uh, the craziness. And the guy that fixed our furnace the first night, he comes. Uh, we get home on a Friday evening. I walk in the door and I see this waterfall and no heat in the house. And so I had to call somebody. I opened a phone book. We come anytime. You're the one I want. So, long story short, he was on an emergency call. He says, you know, I'm coming down from Green Bay, and it's the strangest thing. I'm leaving the office, and as I'm leaving, I get a phone call, and there's another emergency just three doors down from where you are, and he's coming from Green Bay. And I thought, now, what are the chances of that? So I went and got myself a God of wonders, and I said, well, you know, this might not be a coincidence. So would you just take this and listen to it? and uh, take it for what it's worth. 
So, you know, through all the stuff that seems bad, yes, it is bad. Do I like it? No. Will God work it towards the good? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When are you going to start your Bible study, Dwight? You've been yapping on for 15 minutes. Psalm 79. I told you on Sunday that Psalm 83 was the last of the 10 Psalms that Asaph wrote. 82 and 83, especially 83, I mentioned that in Second Chronicles that Asaph is called a seer. That means he's a prophet. And if you were here on Sunday, I made the analogy that Asaph and David were very, very similar in two aspects. One, they were both musicians, very good musicians. And two, they were both prophetic in their writing of their psalms. The most obvious would be David, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's prophetic. Jesus spoke it from the cross. Psalm 83, as you would know, I was very non-dogmatic about what that could be. That's why I want you to pick it up and do your own homework on it because I think a lot of that's being fulfilled right now. But it's 83 is prophetic and it deals with the nations that are making a covenant to destroy Israel. And as we look at um, Psalm 79, this is also 79, 80, 81, 82, and 83 are all written by the same musician, prophet. Seer and prophet are, are one and the same. So as we look at Psalm 89, we have in view here events that would be prophetic And I'm going to touch on three of them. So I'm going to read the psalm and then come back. Psalm 79. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps, the dead bodies of your servants. And they have given as food for the birds of the heavens. Remember that one. The flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. And we have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to those who are around us. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob, laid waste his dwelling place. O do not... Remember former iniquities against us and let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us. For we have been brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? And let there be known, uh, be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servant which has been shed. And let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those who you are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom. The reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord, so we your people and sheep of your pasture, We'll give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. This prayer right here of Asaph is not for you uh, or me really to pray. It would be out of context. Uh, This has in mind the Jewish nation and in particular um, battles that would eventually Come against them. Although this psalm was prophetic at the time it was written, it actually pictures, and what we have in view here is the siege by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and the subsequent 70 year captivity of them being taken out of the land and the temple actually being defiled. So when we read, Um, your holy temple they have defiled. It is prophetic in nature. It is looking ahead to them not heeding the warnings to turn from worshiping other gods or else the Lord would deal with them and take them into captivity. Now, briefly what I would like to do 
is a look at uh, these three major ones. Two are past tense, one is yet future. And one of the reasons it's important to do chapter by chapter and verse by verse is that when you read a psalm like this, you can put it in context. This is an important subject in Bible study. What is a context? A context here is, is Israel, the temple, and it being laid to waste and, and dead bodies. Um, but be, many good Bible teachers, one of my favorite, J. Vernon McGee, holds to that it's very prophetic as far as pertaining to the Great Tribulation. So let's begin by going to 445 B.C. Um, Asaph is a contemporary of David, so we're talking about 1000 B.C. So God, in his protection, kept them until Solomon's temple was built. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. And look at verse 1. This is now 70 years after the fact. Daniel was a very serious student of Jeremiah. And we simply read in verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, I understood by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord, given through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Here's Asaph, Psalm 79, verse 2, talking about the destruction of the temple. Well, this was, this was unthinkable that something like this would ever happen. Um, quoting McGee prior to the Babylonian captivity, the false prophets were saying that God would never allow their destruction and captivity. However, the city that the false prophets had said would never be taken uh, into captivity and the inhabitants carried away into captivity, the temple they said could never be destroyed, was destroyed. The city, of course, was Jerusalem and the people were the children of Israel. This happened several times, and it caused these people to cry out to God. The temple, the sanctuary, and the very set is, is the very center of things. Remember that this section of the Psalms corresponds to the book of Leviticus, which has in its theme the worship center about the tabernacle and later the, te- the temple. And the horrible... Carnage was difficult for the people of Israel to understand. Why would the Lord permit this to happen to them? The false prophets had been continually telling them it could not happen to God's people. Although the prophet Jeremiah had been faithfully giving God's warning of judgment to come, he had been discredited, labeled a traitor to his nation. The Israelites could not stand could not understand why God had not protected him. There is still a question in our day. I understand that a great many Jews have become atheists because of the terrible destruction and suffering of the people in Germany during Hitler's dictatorship. Of course, it is difficult for them to understand it. Maybe they have the same question the psalmist did here, but have they been faithful to God? And are they back in a proper relationship with their Messiah? If you're in Daniel 9, verse 1, it's after the fact. And uh, the temple has been destroyed. There was one guy who was shooting level. That was Jeremiah. Everybody else was saying, forget about it. Everything's fine. And don't worry about a thing. Um, And what we're hearing today is very little warning about impending judgment. If you watched or read any part of our president and where his stand is today, you should realize that our country is in serious trouble. So you want to give me an amen to that? Well, we might, we understand that. And so, let's let's face it, I I like to be liked by people. (laughs) Don't you like to be liked by people? But when you got a message that isn't very popular, that's not very likable. Jeremiah, uh, as it says here, 
they discredited him and labeled him a traitor. You're speaking against your own nation. How unpatriotic is that? I happen to love this country. There's a lot of things in it that we can still do here, like have a Bible study and uh, do it freely and worship the way we want to. Not in many parts of the world that you can't do that anymore. So I thank the Lord for that. But getting back to this here, this is now fulfilled what Asaph was prophesying about. He says the temple. The temple is a reference, the first one, as we look at uh, Israel in particular, is that it was destroyed in 445 B.C. by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. They did go into captivity. Daniel was there the whole 70 years. So as you look at verse 2, that 70 years has come, the 70 years has gone, and as far as Daniel's concerned, God's going to keep his word, we're going home. So from verses 1 all the way to verse 19 is a prayer. Lord, you said, after this period of time, we get to go home. And you said if we would humble ourselves and repent and confess what we did wrong, he does. And he, I mean, it's, I don't have time to read all the prayer, but verse 5 says, we've sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. We've rebelled. We departed from your precepts, your judgments. He's shooting straight. He's saying, we're not good. You are. And now his prayer, of course, is interrupted by the angel Gabriel. But my point here is here is one of the places that Asaph in uh, Psalm 79 is predicted. What happened once. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I'll show you the second time, which is, was, it's history to us, but would have been future um, to um, Asaph. And actually, it would have been future. If that was 445 B.C., they came back and they rebuilt the temple. Only 50,000 at first under the leadership of Ezra and uh, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel. And the Lord did protect them. And until the time when now Jesus comes. So here we have from uh, this 400, what we call the 400 silent years. So when you get to the book of Malachi, and then there's the book of Matthew, in between the Old and the New Testament, there's 400 years where God doesn't say anything. The last thing the Old Testament says is before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, I'm going to send you Elijah. That's how the book ends. And then all of a sudden, the New Testament begins with this fiery prophet named John the Baptist who is fulfilling part of that last couple of verses in the book of Malachi. One of my points is that there was a temple that existed that King Herod greatly enlarged and made very, very beautiful about the time that Jesus was living. But now it's time for more difficulty for Israel, where once again, their temple is going to be destroyed. Now their sin, according to Hosea, talks about a single iniquity and that the Lord won't return until they confess their sin of, what the heck, I probably won't make it through all my chapters anyway tonight. Let's go back to the book of Hosea. Chapter 5. It's on page, uh, I'll tell you here in a second, 888. That should help you find it easier. What an interesting prophecy this is. It's called here, the last verse of chapter 5, by title says, The Eventual Restoration of Israel. The I in verse 15 is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I will return again to my place. Well, in order to return to a place, what does that mean? You had to be there before, right? Ephesians tells us, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. So the I will return again to my place, notice, until they acknowledge their offense, but I want you to notice that it's singular and not plural. 
There's one single offense that Israel committed. Then they will seek my face, and in notice their affliction, they will diligently seek me. Now chapter six, verses one and two. This is what they'll say. And I'll tell you where I'm headed with this. This is, this is um, not during Jesus' time. This is when they are uh, fleeing from the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. So this is what they'll say. That there's one iniquity, and I'll come back to that one iniquity in a second. They, they, this is Israel now speaking. They say, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn. He will heal us. He has stricken. He will bind us up. How long? After two days, he will revive us. And on the third days, he will rise us up that we may live in his sight. This is, I think it's dangerous to spiritualize scriptures unless it's really, really clear. And in this case, in my opinion, this is really, really clear that one day with the Lord is just a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. How long has Jesus been gone? 2,000 years. From this point of view, just a couple days. When will Israel live in his sight again? Beginning of the third day, which is another thousand years. What do we call the kingdom reign? The millennium. Why do we call it the millennium? Because it's a thousand years. So on the third day, Israel will live again in the kingdom. It's for Israel. Now that we've done that, now I'll go to Luke 19. What was their sin? The Lord says to them, in some of the final words to Israel, you're not going to see me again. Goodbye, Israel. You're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until that time, in John chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says he's despised, he's rejected. By who? By his own creation, by his own people. So when you read this prophecy in Hosea, tied into Psalm 79, we're talking about one sin. That, that brought about the destruction of the second temple. What was the destruction of the first? Worshiping other gods. Different for this one. Um, the day is March 14th. Uh, I mean, sorry, this day is April 6, 32 AD. It is also prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 as a specific day on God's calendar, a very special day just for Israel that they would recognize their Messiah. So, the first part of it is, in verse 38, it's Palm Sunday, and some of the crowd is saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and glory in the highest. This is a prophecy. It is about the coming of the Messiah, that when he comes, this is what they would say. And the reason I know that's true is because of the next verse. The religious leaders understood Psalm 118 was a prophecy about the Messiah. And they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They think you're the Messiah. And he answered, if I tell them that they would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And now from, talk about an emotional roller coaster. This great joy to, in verse 41, he begins to weep over the city of Jerusalem. And he said, oh, if you'd even known, even you especially in this thy day, a special day, the things that are made for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The day will now come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, level you and your children within you to the ground, and they won't even leave one stone upon another. He's talking about the temple here. And then he says, because. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus said, um, that the very reason for the destruction and them going into captivity for the next almost 2,000 years was why? Because they didn't know that he was the Messiah. What is Israel's offense? Singular, that when he came into his own, they rejected him. And he says, you're not gonna see me again until you say, you are the Messiah. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 13. As I show you another Old Testament reference to this. Zechariah 13, 
There's um, one more event. What Jesus was talking about was eventually fulfilled by the Romans in 70 AD. The interesting thing is that Solomon's temple was destroyed on the 9th of Av, and the temple here that Jesus was talking about was destroyed on exactly the same day, the 9th of Av, 38 years after Luke 19. And so now we have them going into captivity, or we call it the dysphoria, or into the nations. They became the wandering Jews. But there's one more time that I believe Psalm 79 is referring to as, as we take it. And McGee is really strong in this point. Other commentators are too. Especially Asaph's uh, prophecies that they pertain primarily to the Great Tribulation period. What we're about to read is the, um, the aftermath of the, the battle of Armageddon. Let's pick it up in verse so 10 of chapter 12. The Lord says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they have pierced. Interesting. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And they will grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Let me draw a contrast here. You're despised, you're rejected. We don't have nothing to do with you. No respect. He came into his own, his own respected him not. From that emotion to emotion when they look at him, they see the pierced hands, now they grieve as if you just lost your only son. That's what we're reading here. Verse 11, in that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Aram in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself. I mean, when you're really hurting, you don't want anybody around. You want to be alone. Leave me alone. I don't want to be comforted. The family of House of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the house of Nathan itself, the house of their wives by themselves, the family of the House of Levi by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself and the wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Continuing, continuing thought here in chapter 13. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets, and notice, the unclean spirits to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies that his father and mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not say this because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. Um, Kansas City prophets, uh, Todd Bentley, um, Betty Hinn, the list could go on for a long ways. People who are prophesying in the name of the Lord. Well, there's going to become a holy fear on people, and they're not going to do that anymore. That's what's being, I think, referred to. And his father and mother who begot him will thrust him through with his so-called prophecies. And that day will be that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies that they did not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. But he will say, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a farm boy. (laughs) For a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. You know, he wants to change job titles real quick. And then someone will say to him, now catch this, well, what are these wounds that you have in your hands? Where did you get those pierced heads? And he said, well, these are the wounds that I was wounded in the house of my friends. You know what blows my mind? That when Judas betrayed Jesus, he says, what do you want, friend? Betray me with a kiss? Do you know that the place of honor at the Last Supper was given to Judas? That blows my mind. Where did you get those wounds in your hand? Oh, for my friends. That's a prophecy here. Now I have to read the hard part. 
because uh, there's a prophecy in verse 7 talking about uh, the Lord. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. That's exactly what happened when they struck the Lord. That was prophetic, but as we switch gears now, now we're in verse 8, we're at the middle of um, the tribulation period. So what have we pointed out so far? The destruction of Solomon's temple in 445 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. We had the destruction of the temple, and Jesus said it's because you didn't know my time. That was in 70 A.D. And now we have something that is yet future for us. The first two, past tense. What's on the horizon right now? A lot of talk about the rebuilding of the temple. And eventually, um, God having to deal with his people, and this actually gives us numbers. How many, uh, well, let me just say it. This is going to be worse than the Holocaust, and I can't even imagine such a thing. Look at verse 8. It will come to pass that that day, says the Lord, that two-thirds of it will be cut off and die, and one-third will be left in it. I will bring one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them and as they are tested, as gold is tested. In other words, they're going to be broken because of the adversity that is there. And what is the result of the adversity? Well, let's read it. They will call on my name. Well, what did we just read in Hosea? Jesus says, I'm not, gonna, I'm not coming until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What do they do? They say, oh, let's call upon the name of the Lord. He's torn. He'll restore us if we call on his name again. What does it tell us here? After two-thirds of the Jewish people during the tribulation are dealt with because the Antichrist coming after him they eventually are refined. I would say that would be through trial and persecution, brought to a place of saying, Lord, help. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are Christians here tonight because you got to a place in your life and you said, Lord, help. And it was only because you went through a terrible, terrible crisis and you wouldn't have done it any other way because we have way too much pride and we're way too full of ourselves that we say, I can handle this. But usually what happens? No, we get slapped around, we get knocked down, and we get humbled, and we say, Lord, please, will you deliver me? And a broken and a contrite heart, he won't despise. He'll be there, Johnny, on the spot. He'll pick you up. and He'll get, set your feet on a solid ground. Uh, but you'll have a whole different attitude. You'll be humble. And uh, you'll walk with a, um, a circumcised heart before him. And just really a grateful person. I'm just so glad, Lord, I'm alive. You've given me my uh, new life. And you simply become grateful. But let's be honest. How do we get there? Not through the peace and prosperity doctrine. Certainly not through Joel Osteen's form of of building up your self-esteem. It's just the opposite. It's knocking it down. And um, this last part here. Then I will answer them. I will say to them, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. And so let's go to one more verse so you can sort of, if you're going through this for the first time, get a little bit of feel for it. And that is Matthew chapter um, 24. I want to show you how this all sort of fits together. And yes, this is Psalm 79, what we're talking about here, God dealing with the judgment of the temple and the people in particular to refine them. So in Matthew 24, in verse 15, Jesus is answering the question that they said, Lord, when are you going to come again? They actually believed that their Messiah had come. Great, the kingdom is finally here. And they didn't know that he had to die. They didn't know that the first time he came to die for our sins, but that he would come again. So they wanted a sign. And he's telling them that during, there's going to come a time, verse 15, 
He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, one of the few places in the Bible where there's parentheses, whosoever reads, let him understand. What does that mean? It means you better be a pretty serious Bible student if you're going to understand what, you, what, what we just read here. You've got to understand all of Daniel chapter 9 really good in order to understand what Jesus just said. What is the abomination of desolation? Well, it's the Antichrist going into a temple that's not built yet, but it's going to be because 2 Thessalonians tells us so. Jesus tells us so right here. And that it's going to be defiled in the same way that it was under Antioch Epiphanes, who also happens to be a foreshadow when you study the book of Daniel. But again, you've got to study the whole book of Daniel to even know who Antioch Epiphanes is. He is a guy who went into the temple and killed a pig in the Holy of Holies. And uh, that defiled the temple. And um, that you'll have to read that on your own for, <laughs> for extra credit. But he's a picture of a foreshadow of this event right here. So what are you saying, Dwight? Well, I'm saying that Psalm 79 talks about the destruction of the temple. First temple, 45 B.C., 445 B.C. Second temple, 70 A.D., Now, there's another one coming that's also going to be defiled. And when it is, Jesus says to them, when you see that happen, run for the hills. Uh, Don't even go, if you're on the housetop, don't even go back into your house to get your clothes. Just run. If you're, woe to you if you're pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because it's hard to carry a baby when you're running. That's why. Pray that your flight won't be on the winter or on the Sabbath. Uh, why? Because it's harder to travel when it's snowing, right? And um, uh, for then, he says, there will be great tribulation, not since the beginning of the world until this time nor ever shall be. Well, I, I think how could it ever get worse than Hitler in World War II? Well, we just read from Zechariah, not just six million Jews, but two-thirds of them. That's how it's worse. And there's only going to be a remnant that are going to make it to Petra in Jordan. Revelation 12 says where they're supernaturally protected. It isn't that the Antichrist doesn't go after him. He does. It's just that the Lord supernaturally protects this remnant. One third. And then he carries it a step farther. Then there will be great tribulation. It's not as such ever been or ever will be. And unless those days were... Shorten no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, the remnant who called upon him, Lord, come, he does. Then if anyone says, look to you, there is Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive us, if possible, the elect. That's all I can give you on that. Now we have to go to Psalm 80, because I might not get any further than that. (laughs) Let's go back to Psalm 80. Psalm 79 is a prayer by Asaph about the judgment against the temple and about God dealing with those and asking the question, how long, Lord, will you be angry with us? Psalm 80, in contrast, is we like to talk about the joy of the Lord, uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, Jesus said, if you're gonna be a Christian and you're gonna follow me, know this, the way is narrow and difficult. Can I say that again? The way is narrow and it's difficult. And um, when I read Psalm 80, it talks about the reality of, of uh, Israel and what they really went through like no other group of people on this planet and still be around to live and talk about it. Let's read the first three verses. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim shine forth. We're talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. And then it mentions... Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, stir up your strength, come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, 
and we shall be saved. Now, in order to understand verse 2, you have to understand Numbers 2, and when they were wandering through the wilderness, every time they would set up camp, how they would set up camp, and why Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh are mentioned in this order. So having said that, you have to turn back to the book of Numbers, chapter 2. And what we have in Numbers, chapter 2, is instructions given to Moses on Mount Sinai by God himself, talking about how the Ark of the Covenant would be made, how the the curtains would be made, how the, the altar would be made, all the instructions. And so in verse 17, it talks about now that everything's been built, then the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camp as they camp, so they shall move out everyone in his place by their standards. Okay, so now they've been camped at a place for a certain period of time. And that cloud begins to move. Oh, time to break camp. So who is the first ones that are behind the center that move first? Well, they're on the west. And from verses 18 to 24, in verse 18, you'll see that Ephraim was on the west side. Next, in verse 20, you have Manasseh. And down in verse 22, you have Benjamin. And that's all I'm going to say there, and I'll tell you why. I I just simply don't have the time to spend on it except to say this. Go back to Psalm 80. And he's talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord God who dwells between the cherubim. Okay, they're breaking camp. And who's following them before? Well, it would be Ephraim. Benjamin, and Manasseh. Where do you get that from? Numbers chapter 2. Then, in verse 4 through 5, they ask to be saved, but they say, O Lord God of hosts, how long you'll be angry against the, the prayer of your people. Notice this. You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. How many Bible studies have you heard on how great it is to eat the bread of tears and to drink the cup of tears? Not many. Hard to say amen to that one, right? It's true though. Psalm 56 verse 8 says, You number my wanderings, You have put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Let me just tell you that you're going to go through it as a Christian. It is straight. It is narrow. It is hard. Nothing easy about it. You have two natures. They are diametrically opposed to each other. They hate each other. The flesh despises the spirit, and the spirit despises the flesh. Which one's going to win? All depends on which one you feed. You can say amen to that one. You know, the sword of the spirit, your faith, these are the things that will get you through. Um, But motivational speakers, forget about it. Uh, Pep talks with um, uh, hyped up, um, what what I like to call sermonettes for Christianettes. (laughs) And um, here... The reality is, the one that was right behind the Lord leading them up, what is the Lord giving them? Well, bread for tears and tears to drink. Gang, if I don't teach this stuff from the pulpit, and you go home and you're experiencing real life, and you're just, you know, broken, and uh, you need to know that that's part of the process. And if that's not being taught to you, you're going to stumble big time. But if you're taught it, you go, ha, this is perfectly natural, what I'm going through. Didn't Jesus say in John 15, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too? That's exactly what he said. He said, if they've done this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Well, all depends if you're really standing with what this, this book teaches. I like what uh, 
I like what McGee says on this. This is one of the most remarkable verses in the word of God. God has given his people tears to drink and tears for their bread. All they had to eat was tears. These are the tears of suffering. No nation has suffered as the children of Israel have suffered and survived. Most other nations uh, they, that have been treated like the Jews would have been exterminated, would have disappeared from the face of the earth. Israel has been drinking tears down through the centuries. Then the question, why? Because Israel rejected their shepherd. When the Lord was here, he beheld the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. Interesting, on the way to the cross, um, there were some in the crowd who were weeping, and Jesus turns to him and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself and for your children. Why would he say such a thing? Because they would go on for the next decades being rejected and um, despised. What's the movie that I'm having a senior moment with Tevi and that everybody knows here except me? Help me out here. I'm dying. What movie is the most famous movie with Tevi? Wish I Were a Rich Man. Da, 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 da. What's it called? Huh? Fiddler on the Roof. I hate being over 60. It's terrible. Everybody knows that movie. What's your point, Dwight? Classic. Classic what the Jewish people went through in Europe. Classic what they've gone through their entire life. But they're still here, aren't they? Why are they still here? Because God's got some promises he made to them. But in the meantime, he says, you're going to be drinking a lot of tears. You're going to be having a lot of bread of tears. Gang, you know that when you signed up to follow Jesus of Nazareth, you've got to sign up with what goes along with it. There's going to be times... There's no greater joys than uh, having fellowship with God. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? No greater joy than watching a person get saved. I mean, joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's all true. But let's, let's tell the whole story, okay? Let's give the other half where the Lord said it's narrow and it's tough. Um, especially in the days that we live. I have to skip ahead to verse 12 just because we're only going to make it through these two. I can see that now. Uh, verse, verse 12, why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by way pluck her f- fruit? They bore out the wood and uproots it and the wild beast um, of the field devour it. What we have here is um, uh, the Lord did protect them and he did set a hedge about them for many, many years. And the question is, why, why have you allowed, prophetically speaking, why have you allowed us to be uprooted? And again, it gets back to the, to the idea that um, um, the Lord is breaking them down so that they would call upon him. How much time do I have? I had a couple of minutes and 81. Hmm, no way. Um, You know what I can do? I'm going to come back and I'm going to do 81, but I can crack out 82. Is that acceptable? I promise to come back and do 81, but I know I can do 82 because it's quoted a lot today, and I can leave this with a final thought of what I see creeping into where we started tonight. And that is the New Age movement making inroads into the church. And I want to show you in Psalm 82 how that's being done, and how the scriptures are being twisted and misused. Psalm 82, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Now notice there's a little G there, and it's plural, okay? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. And he's talking about judges here. I'll tell you where I'm going with this. That... um, when he uses the little g here, um, there are judges in authority 
that have, if you stand before a judge because you've broken the law, he has the authority to discipline you. If you've committed murder, you could actually be put to death in some states. Now, who has the authority to do that, to take a person's life? A God. Well, not the God, but we're told in Hebrews to be in submission to the authorities that are over us. So the gods here is a reference to the judges who are in authority who make decisions over people's lives. Are you with me? Okay, but why do you show partiality to the wicked? How is it that some of these billionaires with their Patsy schemes can get uh, $600 an hour lawyers from Chicago to get them off the hook? When a, if it's an average Joe who commits the same crime, he's tossed away for the rest of his life because he can't afford the attorney. What's being said there is, why do you show partiality? Why are you a respecter of person? You're a judge. You're supposed to be doing it right. He says, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. That's your job, judge. They do not know. Let me just tell a story about a judge. I won't mention him by name, but I actually witnessed to him when he was... um, in college in Oshkosh. He told the story to me years later after he got saved. He said, I witnessed to him on the street. Uh, they were pretty wasted at the time. And he says, but his buddy got saved and went into the ministry, and he eventually became a Christian. And he's a well-known judge. He's a retired judge now, but a judge in our community for many years. But, um, and came to our prayer meetings. And I remember him being a godly judge because he told me one time, he says, Dwight, some, he says, there's some of these cases, most of them, he says, I can't go and sit and put that robe on and sit down behind that desk without realizing that what I'm about to say is going to affect this person the rest of their life. And I just want you to know, you need to pray for me. And uh, I want you to know that I pray on my knees before I go out into that courtroom. And that's a true story. And if I dropped his name, you'd all know who I'm talking about. But he's a godly man, and he has the fear of the Lord, and he's, he's the opposite of what's being talked about here, okay? They do not understand, nor do they, under, uh, they have understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods. Now, this is actually going to be quoted by Jesus uh, in the New Testament, and I'll take you there in a second, but let me um, read the rest of it here. I said, you are gods, and all of you children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Now, one of the places, let's go to John 10. We will close with this tonight. I knew I could sneak that much in. Why am I going there? Because the New Age movement has infiltrated the church. Our friend Roma Downey, who is emceeing this major event in Nashville as I speak, she'll close it up tonight. Whether you realize it or not, is infiltrating and what we would call leaven. Very, very subtle. She's a very attractive, very knowledgeable woman. But make no mistake about it, it's leaven. And her goal, the name of this place is United We Stand. There's a movement going on today that is basically saying this. Don't be so doctrinally strict. Can't you see that it causes division? It sure does. If you stand upon the word of God and don't compromise, I promise you there will be division. But Jesus said, don't think I've come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace. I've come to bring division. Even in your own house, there will be division because of me. So now we have this major event that we're talking about, one of the biggest in Christian history, and the name of it is Stand in Unity. And who do they have emceeing it? A New Ager. About a New Ager as you can get. But by the way, please don't believe a word I just said. I want you to do your own homework. Pastor Dwight thinks this, and Pastor Dwight thinks that. You know, the Bible says that we're to be Bereans, right? That's one of the reasons I quoted T.A. McMahon. He's a Berean. 
It doesn't take anybody's word, and neither should you. You should do your own homework. So having said that, where does this come from? You need to know that when a New Ager quotes the Bible, one of their favorite psalms is Psalm 82. Well, don't you know that you are God? And that uh, the Bible actually teaches that you are God? Well, let's say you never had Bible studies. And all of a sudden you have somebody of a stature who has a bunch of PhDs behind your name and has been a movie star uh, with the, the uh, with angels and so on and so forth. Um, MCs, the biggest Christian music production in years. And you don't think that's being an influence on people who don't know their Bibles. And all of a sudden they read, oh, well, you've heard that it said you're God. And... Um, you know, there's one thing I'm really, really sure about. That is, I'm not God. I'm really sure about that one. You know the other thing I'm really sure? You're not either. <laughs> and yet, you need to know that's where they get this. Little g. What does it mean? They're simply judges that should be doing the right thing. Now, when the Lord comes back, the real judge, oh, he'll be for the the. The, the widow and the fatherless and the homeless and, and he will be one who rules and reigns in righteousness. But in John 10, where this comes from, verse 33 to 37, we read, Jesus said to them, is it not written in the law where I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God cannot, God came and the scriptures cannot be broken. I like that. Do you say of him whom your father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? Look, if I don't do the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do do them, though you do not believe me, believe because of the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I am in him. In context, Psalm 82 is speaking about worldly judges that can perish. In contrast, he's putting it here, pointing it back to himself and saying, no, I'm really the one that's God because I have the works to prove it. Leave it at that. Promise to get back to Psalm 81 next Wednesday. Good enough, let's stand. Oh Lord, thank you for your word tonight. That's a lot to take in. Lord, we thank you for the Psalms, for Asaph, and there was just a lot of data and information that we've downloaded tonight. And Lord, we are poor and needy. We pray that you would help us be men and women that would take your word at face value, that we would be diligent to um, be students of the scriptures. I pray for what's going on tonight in Nashville. I pray that people in places of authority would have discernment in um, who they're allowing to represent the Christian community. And so, Lord, as we close this evening, we honestly pray. I pray for Roma Downey. I call her out by name. Lord, I pray that somehow you'd send the right person into her life and sit her down and set her straight, and that you'd give her that repentive heart that we've learned about in the scriptures tonight, how you had to deal with your own people in order to get their attention. And help us see, Lord, that we need to be more like David and come to that place of just acknowledging our own frailty and our, our own unrighteousness before a holy God. So Lord, bless your people as we go out tonight. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.